Good morning, crowd family. Happy, happy Sunday. I hope you all are doing well, that you're safe, and that you all are healthy. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, chapter 7, verses 25, all the way through verse 40 is today's text. Again, that's 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 25 through 40. We're now in part 16 of our series, Undivided. Now, before we dive into the text, as always, I want to do a quick review from last week's text. That was verses 10 through 24. And you might remember that Paul's focus was on marriage, divorce, and, and remarriage. In verses 10 through 11, he addresses the, the saved couples, the equally yoked marriages. And, and there he makes, a, makes it very, very clear that a wife must not separate from her husband. But if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And a husband must not divorce his wife. So Paul, what he's doing, he's repeating and emphasizing the teaching that Jesus had personally given during his earthly ministry, referring to Matthew chapter 19, verses 3 through 9, and also Matthew chapter 5, verses 31 through 32. And there Jesus gives the only legitimate exception from the no divorce rule, and he says that in the event of some illicit sexual activity on the behalf of one spouse or the other, divorce, Jesus says, divorce is permissible. Now, he doesn't command it, but he does allow it. In verses 12 through 16, Paul then addresses the spiritually mixed couples, and these are the unequally yoked marriages, and these are marriages uh, with one spouse who's a believer and the other spouse isn't. And Paul teaches that the believer is not to leave the unbeliever as long as the unbeliever chooses to stay in the marriage relationship because the presence of a believing wife the presence of a believing husband in the family has an effect of influence. I love that. An effect of influence that could lead that unbelieving spouse to Jesus. But, Paul says, if the unbelieving spouse re refuses to stay in the marriage, then the believing spouse is to let him or her go and is not under obligation to plead the unbelieving spouse to stay. And now the believing spouse is now free. The believing spouse is now free to walk through that divorce is now free for remarriage. So here is the only other escape clause in Scripture for a biblical divorce. You have abandonment, and the other one we saw was adultery. And there's one more, and we're going to see that later on in today's text. So, so after addressing the saved couples and the spiritually mixed couples, Paul, in verses 17 through 24, basically illustrates that whether you're happily married or unhappily married, a single, divorced, widowed, remarried, uh, circumcised, uncircumcised, a slave, or free, God can work in your life. In other words, stay where you're set, bloom where you're planted. Paul says, live out your calling. Walk, live, and serve God in the place where you are right now. Honor Christ where you are right now. Okay? And what he's basically saying, it's, it's not a matter of, of changing your status or, or changing the situation uh, in life as much as seeing that status or that situation as a sphere of influence for Jesus. Okay? It, it doesn't matter, Paul's saying, it, it doesn't matter nearly as much as whether you're married, single, divorced, or remarried. What matters more is an on-fire walk with Jesus right now, with Jesus right now. This now brings us to today's text, and the title of my message is Undivided Devotion. Say that, Undivided Devotion. Here in the text, Paul takes up the question of singleness in a time of, of social and cultural 
distress. And the key note in the text is that of placing a priority, say that, placing a priority on an undivided, undistracted devotion to God. I want to give you three points from today's text. If you're ready, say yes. Point number one is this. Here we go. Point number one is the unmarried. Write that down. Say that, the unmarried. And here Paul gives great advice, great counsel to the unmarried. Let's look at verse 25. Verse 25. Paul writes now about virgins. I want to stop there because Paul uses the same language to start this verse that he used to introduce the whole chapter back in verse 1 of chapter 7 of this chapter. Paul says, now for the matters you wrote about. So apparently, right, a question was addressed to him. Paul should virgins. Now, by the way, the, the word virgin in the Greek is uh, parthenoi. Parthenoi means those who have never been married, never uh, entered into a relationship. Speaking about single people. So they were probably asking Paul questions, questions Excuse me, such as, should virgins try to get married? Paul, should virgins try to get married? Is, is singleness normal? I mean, what's God's view on singleness? Is there a word from God about these unmarried people in the church? Well, let's read on what Paul says. He says, I have no command from the Lord. In other words, what Paul means when he says, I have no command from the Lord, is that the Lord never addressed this subject, this subject directly through his teachings or through his revelations to Paul. But we know that Paul, Paul's written conclusions were in fact inspired, right? Inspired because they're right here in God's word. Then he says this, let's read on. But I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. So Paul says... He doesn't have a clear apostolic word from God about whether a single people ought to stay single or try to get married, but he does say that they should, by the Lord's mercy, be able to trust what he says, what he has written. Look at verse 26 now. Because of the present crisis or the present distress, I think that it, it is good for you to remain as you are, remain single. Now, Paul's point is that it's good, okay, if, if at all possible, to remain single. Why? Well, the, the reason it wasn't because of spirituality, you know, that, that you were more spiritual if you remained single, rather because of the present crisis, because of the present distress. Now, the word crisis or the word distress is a word that refers to pain or, 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 or agony that stems from some force or, or violence, now, now, we don't know, we don't know exactly or the exact problems the Corinthian believers were facing. We don't know that. Paul is obviously referring to some specific crisis or distress the Corinthians were experiencing. Now, he's not talking about life in general, life in general uh, with its ups and downs, but about times of crisis, times of distress. So I think it would be safe to say that this is referring, or Paul's referring, listen now, to persecution. Now, we know in, in Acts chapter 18, the city of Corinth was antagonistic uh, to Christians. So perhaps this is a time, perhaps a time of persecution and time of suffering is coming, and Paul's warning them. And you see, Paul's saying, it's going to be tough enough, listen now, tough enough if you're single going through the, this persecution. But it will be even worse, he says, if you're married. Why? Because those who were anti-Christian, those who were 
antagonistic to Christians would, would take the Christian and torture the Christian and torture them in front of their loved ones and even torture, uh, torture the whole family trying to get them to renounce Christ. And so here's Paul's point. If you're not married, okay, if you're single and if you're not married, there's no one to torture but you. And you see, it's one thing to severely suffer yourself as a believer, and it's quite another to have to watch your spouse and to watch your children you love suffer. The bottom line is this. If you have a family, Paul's saying, if you have a family, your family is in danger in the time of persecution coming. And that's what Paul is getting at. Now, let's move on to verses 27 and 28. Paul says, are you married? Do not seek a divorce. In other words, in light of the persecution, even though it's better to be single, Paul, his, Paul, says, Paul he says, hey, it doesn't mean that you should divorce your spouse. He goes on to say this, are you unmarried? Do not look for a wife. Okay, in other words, don't be on the lookout for a spouse for it's better to remain single in the presence of this persecution coming and take advantage of the position you're in as a single person. That's what Paul's saying. Verse 28, but if you do marry, that's what he says. Paul says, but if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. In other words, Paul's saying marriage is okay if you're single, okay? Or if you're, you're biblically divorced, then get married. Then he goes on to say, but those who marry, listen to what he says, but those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And I want to spare you this. Now, the word trouble there in the Greek is thelipsis, thelipsis, and it means pressure together, or excuse me, press, press, press together, press together, excuse me, press together under pressure pressed together under pressure, which is an interesting description of the marriage relationship. Now, I want you to follow me here. In a marriage, you have two people who are pressed together, pressed together in the closest possible way, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And, and there are two, they, they are two very distinct individuals with different personalities, different temperaments, different wills, uh, different backgrounds, different histories, different struggles, and difficulties that they have that they have brought into uh, this marriage. It's baggage that's now bought, brought into this relationship. So as married couple, you're still subject to the limitations and weaknesses of the flesh. Listen, listen, friends, you, you may be saved, and you may be a saved married couple, but the whole nature still hangs around. It still hangs around. And at times, listen now, because it still hangs around, at times you have two angry, selfish, dishonest, proud, forgetful, thoughtless people in a marriage. Listen, it's hard enough. It's hard enough for a sinner to live alone with him or herself, let alone with another sinner. You may be saved, but you're a saved sinner. And listen, and you put those two separate clusters of problems together and the problems of sinful human nature are multiplied. Paul is, is simply saying, if you desire to be married, you're not sinning, but don't be so starry-eyed that you enter marriage with your eyes closed. 
Someone once said this, love is blind, but marriage is an eye-opener. How true is that? Very true, okay? So don't think that marriage will make you happy. Don't think that marriage will solve your problems. Don't think that marriage will bring you closer to God. Don't think that marriage will make you a better person. Don't think that marriage will fulfill your dreams. It won't because it can't. Now, now please, please, please don't get me wrong and hear my heart, friends. Marriage is good and it's noble and it's honorable and holy. Hebrews 13, uh, verse, uh, chapter 13, verse 4 states that. Hebrews 13, verse 4. But it's not the be all and end all of life. My point is this, if you're miserable being single, get this now, if you're miserable being single, how can you be sure you'll suddenly be happy being married? You see, friends, the happiest married people are generally those who were also happy while being single. Now, I want you to get this, and get this, please. Changing your status from single to married does not guarantee a change in your happiness, a change in your contentment, or your satisfaction with life. Listen, discontented singles aren't usually, aren't usually the best candidates for a happy marriage. Now, we always have a lesson, right? And here's the lesson. Marriage, listen now, get this now. Marriage is work. Write that down. Say that. Marriage is work. And yes, marriage is wonderful, marriage is great, marriage is a blessing, but it's work. You got to work at it. You got to work at it. It's 99% perspiration, 1% inspiration. Someone said this, singleness is bliss, marriage is blisters. You see, getting married is easy. It's very easy to get married. Staying married is more difficult. And Paul is straight up, straight up telling the unmarried, these, un, the, the, these single believers, these virgins, okay, understand that you must enter into marriage with a mature outlook. Hey, listen, you're going to be with another person for a lifetime. That's Paul's point. Let's move on, verses 29 to 31. What I mean, brothers, is that Time is short. Now listen to what he says. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they had none. Verse 30, those who mourn as, they, as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who, buy, those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Verse 31, those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. For this world, he says, in its present form is passing away. Now listen. And please listen. Paul wasn't speaking neg negatively about wives, about mourning, about rejoicing, about buying and dealing with the world. His point there in the text was that our priorities and perspectives must be kept right. And what he's simply saying is this. Don't, don't regard your marriage. Don't regard your home. Don't regard your financial security and your possessions as the ultimate goals of life. You see, Paul believed that we should always be caught up with the eternal and not the temporal. Listen, friends, marriage is temporal. Did you know that? Marriage is temporal. Your marriage cannot last forever. And most likely, one of you will outlive the other. That's just the way it is. 
Marriage is a temporary blessing at best. Emotional tragedies are temporal. Emotional triumphs are temporal. Earthly possessions are temporal. Now listen, none of these areas are bad. They're not bad, friends. They all have a proper place in the Christian life. Nevertheless, listen now, nevertheless, when they detract or distract us from God and His work, then they're out of place. Then they become bad. You've heard me say this many times. A good thing could become a bad thing if it keeps you from the right thing. So, so use the world. Enjoy the world. Live in the world. Work in the world. Buy and sell in the world. But don't let the world rule your life. Be careful lest the things you possess end up possessing you. Possessing you. The bottom line is this. Christian married couples are not to let all the things the world, listen, not to let all the things the world around them become the center of their lives. And as married couples, we, listen now, we must focus more on occupying our minds, friends, with spiritual, with the spiritual, with spiritual and eternal matters rather than worldly matters. Listen, friends, to get wrapped up in all the affairs of the world, what that does, that will hinder our fellowship with Christ and our obedience to God's will. So, so live each day to the fullest. Do it. Take advantage of every moment. Do it. But don't, listen now, don't indulge. Get it now. Don't indulge yourself so much that you lose your focus on what really matters. And what really matters is one's service to God. What really matters is one's devotion, devotion to Jesus Christ, to God. Let's move on, verses 32 all the way through verse 35. If, you, if you're still with me, say, say amen. Say yes. Here we go, verses 32 through 35. I would like you to be free from concern. This is what he says. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Did you get that? How he can, what? Please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world. Why? How, how, how he can please his wife. Verse 34, and his interests are divided. Speaking of the married man. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a, mar a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world. Speaking of how she can please her husband. Verse 35, I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way. Here we go, here we go. In undivided devotion to the Lord. I love that. In undivided devotion to the Lord. Paul points out that singles have freedoms that those who are married don't have. Singleness can serve God without as many earthly distractions, but... Those who are married, Paul is saying, are divided in the sense that they must and they should and they should give attention to the needs of their spouse, of their children. That it's only right that a husband, this now, should care about his wife and her needs and, 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 and the children's needs. And it's natural and it's normal and it's only right that a wife should concern herself with her, the needs of her husband and the needs of her children. 
And what Paul is saying is marriage will divide, if you're married, marriage will divide your interest between the eternal and the temporal. That's just the way that it is, okay? That has to be that way because you're married, okay? You're married. You have now obligations to marriage. So there's a divide of interest there. Now, it might sound as if Paul believes singleness is more righteous than marriage or that marriage is less godly than being single, but that's not the case. He's not saying that it's impossible to be married and serve God. He's not saying that, okay? He's saying you can serve God effectively either way. But there's an undeniable truth in Paul's point, and that is that every married person, every single married person knows that marriage is both a blessing and a heavy burden. Not a troublesome burden, but a burden, a burden of care and concern, of time and money and prayers and thought and tears and love and energy. Now, if you're saved and married, say amen. Listen, listen, to be truly married means giving of yourself completely to the one you love. And if you're single, that time and and that energy could be directly applied to, listen now, to the service of others in the name of Christ. And that's Paul's point. That is, as a single person, you have much more time and much more freedom in your devotion to serving God. So there's a lesson. Here's a lesson. Live with an undivided devotion to God. Live with, write it down, live with an undivided devotion to God. Friends, we should focus on undivided, undistracted devotion to God in whatever circumstance God puts us in, in whatever circumstance God puts us in, whether we're married or whether we're single. Because the greatest calling in life, listen now, in life is living and serving God with an undivided devotion with an undivided heart. So number one is the unmarried. Number two, here we go. Number two is the father and his virgin daughter. The father and his virgin daughter. Write that down. The father and his virgin daughter. And here Paul gives advice. He gives wise counsel about whether or not a father should give his virgin daughter in marriage. So we're going to read verses 36 through 38, verses 36 through 38. I'm going to read it from the Amplified Bible. Uh, That's a better translation. Uh, I love the way that it translates that, the scripture. uh, It's different from the NIV, so I'm going to read it from the Amplified Bible, and it says this. But if any man thinks that he is not acting properly and honorably towards his virgin daughter by not permitting her to marry, if she is past her youth, in other words, if she's getting older, And it must be so, let him do as he wishes. He does not sin, let her marry. But the man who stands firmly committed in his heart, having no compulsion to yield to his daughter's request, and has authority over his own will, and has decided in his own heart to keep his own virgin daughter from being married, he will do well. Verse 38. So then both the father who gives his virgin daughter in marriage does well, and he who does not give her in marriage, will do better. Now, there are about four major views about this passage, but, but I will give you uh, the interpretation 
here that I believe is, is most likely correct. And I want you to follow me here. In, in Paul's day, uh, parents arranged marriages for their sons and for their daughters as a matter of custom. And some of the fathers, listen now, the men in the church, had decided to dedicate their daughters as permanent virgins to God. In other words, that they would be single for the rest of their life to serve God. And here Paul is answering the Corinthian question about whether or not it was okay to dedicate one's daughter to the Lord and not arrange for her to be married. And Paul simply replies that if a father's virgin daughter whom he had dedicated to the Lord is, is, is full in age, in other words, if she's mature, full in age, older, and desires to be married, that if he, listen now, that if the father's struggling about whether or not he should allow her to be married, he doesn't sin, Paul says, if he allows her to be married. And likewise, if a father is firm in his conviction to keep his daughter dedicated to serve the Lord unmarried, and there's no constraint, listen now, no constraint upon him from her desiring to be married. In other words, she doesn't want to be married. She wants to be single. Then Paul says that he, the father, will do well if he keeps his commitment to dedicate his daughter to serve the Lord as unmarried. So Paul simply says that in both cases, the father will do well and will not have sinned. However, the father who keeps, Paul says, his commitment to have his virgin daughter dedicated to serve the Lord as unmarried, he will do better. Look at verse 38 again. So then both the father who gives his virgin daughter in marriage does well, and he who does not give her in marriage will do better. Now, we know that Paul taught that both singleness and marriage is a gift from God, right? We know that, right? It's a gift from God, that both are blessings from God and both are to be enjoyed. Paul's saying, if you want to get married, fine. If you want to be single, fine. And Paul's saying both are right in each case. And, and his point, Paul's point is not whether singleness or marriage is right or wrong, but which is better to the Lord. And for Paul, friends, the choice between married and single was not, listen, the choice between good and bad or, or more spiritual or less spiritual, but between better and best. And you see, friends, for Paul, in light of the present circumstances, he regarded singleness as best. And here we see his preference for remaining single. Why? Because a single person, here's what Paul's driving at, a single person is able to give more time, has the freedom to give more time, an undevoted devotion to God and the things of God. Undivided devotion to God and the things of God. John Stott, who was a preacher, evangelist, and author, and theologian, one, one thing that was often noted about John Stott was his incredible capacity for work. He got so much done as a preacher, as an evangelist, as an author, and as a theologian. And this was possible in large part because he was single his entire life. And, and you see, Stott, like Paul, would affirm that while both marriage and singleness are gifts from God, there are times when singleness is the better choice. And that's what Paul is driving at. And if you're single, if you're single, say amen. If you're single, you should give thanks to God. 
Give thanks to God for your situation. Be content in it. You should embrace it. You should celebrate your singleness. Because in your singleness, listen now, in your singleness, you have the freedom to attain your own aspirations, freedom to take risks, freedom with the use of your own time, freedom of mobility, freedom in financial planning, freedom to, to nurture deep relationships, freedom to give more time, and undivided devotion to serve God in any way. You have that freedom, so celebrate it. The unmarried, number two, is the father and the virgin daughter. And point number three, point number three is the widow and remarriage. The widow and remarriage. And here Paul gives advice and, and wise counsel, counsel to the widow, to or to the widower. Verse 39, verse 39. A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies... She is free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. So I want you to follow me here. The, the, the marriage bond can only be broken on one of three grounds. And the first one we saw was adultery. We saw that uh, last week. Uh, yeah, adultery. And we also saw, and that's in Matthew 19, verse 9, adultery, Matthew 19, verse 9. Then we saw it was for abandonment. Abandonment by an unbelieving spouse, and that's in verse 15, verse 15 of this chapter. And then there's death. That's the third one, is death. And that's right now in this text, right now, verse 39, right? It's clarif it clarifies that, that it's death that allows you to be remarried. Okay? So that's in verse 39, and also it's found in Romans chapter 7, verse 2. Write that down, Romans chapter 7, verse 2. And apart from these three grounds, marriage is permanent, Permanent. Now, not in the sense of being eternal, got it? But in the sense of being lifelong. As long as we both shall live, right? To death, what? Do us part. Now, Paul makes it very clear that the widow or the widower is free to remain, or excuse me, free to remarry, but must be married to a believer. In other words, yoked together with a believer, not yoked together with an unbeliever. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 15. 2 Corinthians 6, chapter 6, verses 14 through 15, Paul writes, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. Then he says, For what do unrighteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? And the answer is nothing. An old Puritan preacher once said this, If you marry a child of the devil, you'll be sure to have trouble with your father-in-law. That's a good one. That's a good one. Verse 40. We're almost done here. Verse 40. Paul writes, in my judgment, in his judgment, he says she is happier if she stays as she is, single, as a widow. And I think that I, too, have the Spirit of God. So if a widow stays single, which Paul thinks is the happier state, and I think the reason why he thinks that's the happier state, because she now has more freedom and more time to serve and please the Lord. Right? What comes to mind is, is my mom. 
And my mom is now a widow. My daddy passed away three and a half years ago. He's now with Jesus. But, but now as a widow without the obligations of marriage, my mom now has more freedom and, and more time to serve God. And she's doing exactly that. My mom is a greeter at church. She prints the bulletins. She's part of the prayer and the altar call team. She serves in the Kingdom Kids Ministry. She serves in the nursery. She's part of our food pantry ministry. And also, she just signed up to be a support friend for Foster the Bay. You go, Mom. She's my hero. She is so involved in the work of the Lord. She now has more freedom and more time to serve the God. And by the way, my mom has always felt, felt have, my mom has always had more joy and more happiness in serving God in her relationship with the Lord. And you see, happiness in, in life for a Christian doesn't come from their spouse. It doesn't ultimately come from the spouse. Rather, it's to come ultimately from the relationship with the Lord. So we must look to the Lord, to Him, who will always make our life full. So let's keep our focus, our eyes focused on Him. Let's look at the text. Actually, let's look at the end of verse 40 because I want to make sure we understand what Paul's saying here. And I think that I too have the Spirit of God. What's Paul saying? He is simply saying this. I think, I believe I am giving you counsel from God's Spirit when I say this to you. That's what he's saying. Now, as we wrap this up, if you are single, Warren Wiersbe suggests five questions to be answered when considering marriage. And the first question is this, what is my gift from God? What is it? Is it to be married or is it to be single? So what is my gift from God? The second question is, am, am I marrying a believer? That's crucial, right? Am I marrying a believer? The third question is this, are the circumstances such that marriage is right for me? The fourth question is this, how will marriage affect my service for Christ? How will marriage affect my service for Christ? The fifth thing is this, fifth question is this, am I prepared, listen now, am I prepared to enter into this union for life? Now, if you're single, say amen. Come on, if you're single, say amen. Now, listen, friends, listen. When you're feeling a little panicky about not being married, you should meditate on those five questions on those five questions, and also meditate, listen now, on the truth that there's something worse than not being married, and that is being married to the wrong person. Jim Fitzgerald said this, better to be single and want to be married than to be married and want to be single. So if you're single, I tell you, listen now, celebrate your singleness. Rejoice in your singleness, whether it's temporary or whether it's permanent, and live a life, listen now, live a life of undivided devotion to the Lord. To the Lord. Don't wait to start living. Listen, if you're single, listen, you need to stop asking, why am I single? And start asking, why am I here? Because God has a purpose for your life. Make the most of your time. Because as Paul 
as said in verse 31, right? The world in its present form is what? It's passing away. Use your time. Listen, single person. Use your time to serve the Lord, to serve the Lord. Don't, listen, listen, listen. Don't spend your waking hours wondering about being married. Now, now please, please listen, okay? That doesn't mean that it's wrong to want to be married or to plan to be married or, or to ask God for a marriage partner. Listen, those thoughts are normal. Those thoughts are good. But don't let those thoughts become the all-consuming passion of your life. Rather, use your time, your energy, your gifts, and your abilities to serve God and let your future rest in His hands. You see, singleness is a great blessing. It's such a great blessing if you use it to serve God. Now, if you're married, say amen. One well, of you're married, say amen. If you're married, give thanks to God for your spouse. Would you do that right now? Just give thanks to God for your spouse. In whatever condition your marriage is in, right? Just, just give thanks to God for your spouse. Love the spouse God has given you. Pray for them and look for and find ways to build them up spiritually and let your marriage, let's not let your marriage be part of your service for the Lord. As I said several weeks ago, find out how best you and your spouse can serve God, how you can be amazing instruments. God, instruments of God as a married couple. Amen. That's all I have for you today. Let's, let's go ahead and let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would focus on undivided, undistracted devotion to you in whatever circumstance of life, whether in, in times of trials and in tribulation, whether married or single, and might we live and serve you with an undivided devotion, undivided heart. I pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as always, we want to give you an opportunity for those that are listening to, if you have not yet, to ask Jesus to come into your life, to be your personal Lord and Savior, to follow Him. And so if that's you, um, you know, as I always say, you got to admit that you're a sinner, you got to acknowledge that you need a substitute, and you got to accept Jesus as Savior. So if that's you, you want to give your life to Him, and you're feeling a tug at your heart, that's the Lord calling you to Himself to come to Him and receive Him. If that's you, I want you to bow your head and close your eyes, and I want you to repeat this prayer after me. Okay, here we go. Now, Jesus, I invite you to come into my life to save me, to cleanse me of my sins, and to change my life. I confess with my mouth that, that you are Lord, and I believe within my heart that God raised you from the dead. I receive you this day. I am saved, sealed, sanctified, satisfied, justified, purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. 
I am born again. Thank you, Jesus, for receiving me this day. From this day forth, I will live for you faithfully until you call me home. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now, if any of you said that prayer, we, we would love to hear from you, and you can email us at contact at cryout.org, and that's contact at cryout.org. We would love to hear from you. So I hope you enjoyed the message. Uh, as always, praying for you, love you, miss you all. Uh, we're going to come together soon, sooner than you think. And uh, just have a wonderful week, and I'll see you next Sunday. God bless and take care. Love you.